Today we're going to talk about the importance of love in marriage. I heard, I read a quote. It said, "Nothing in the whole wide world is as valuable as a loving human being." And and you know,、uh, you think about that. What what is more valuable than that? You can have all the money in the world. You can have the nicest house, the nicest car, the nicest clothes. You might be, you know, in a great job, a great position. You have whatever, tons of influence or power. But if you don't have a, a loving human being in your life, then then you're poor. If you're not a loving human being, you know, then you're going to find yourself、uh, suffering. And so that's why. This is such an important message. You know, one of the first things that we'll see in looking at our message is that we want to establish the importance of love, and, and especially in marriage. And so today's study it has to do with marriage, but it's definitely not isolated to that. You know, but when it comes to marriage, if you were to ask people, what are the ingredients of marriage? What's you know most important? I would venture to say that the vast majority of those that you polled. Would include love. Well, if you're married, then you know you gotta love each other, right? If you're a single person here today and you're praying about getting married one day, you know you wanna be a person who would love someone else, but you wanna make sure that that person also loves you. You know, it, it breaks my heart, and I just gotta share this with you. Sometimes I see these young ladies; they're so beautiful. But they get hooked up with some guy, some jerk, that doesn't love them, sweetheart. Let me tell you, you you're better than that. You're worth more than that. Wait for a, a man. Wait for a young man who loves the Lord, because we're going to see today that's the only way that he could ever really love you. And sometimes, though, even Christian guys, even guys that are saved. They're so selfish. They're so selfish. They don't love, and so please, I almost want to beg you: don't get involved in in a, in a relationship with a guy who doesn't love you. As a father, and I have a daughter and a son, you know,、uh, that's the the one thing I would tell my daughter, Miha. You know, just make sure he loves you, because I want you to know that you you deserve that. But a lot of times, what ends up happening is it's not there, and and even though we know it's important, we don't know what it is. You know, some guys will say, "I love you." I remember the first time I told Shelly, "I love you." She didn't tell it back to me, but I still remember. <laughs> I said, "I love you," and I've got hanging right there. You know, she, but <laughs> it's okay. But. But even then, as a young man, I got to tell you, I didn't really love her. I, I wasn't a Christian, and I didn't know what love is. So listen, if he tells you he loves you, it doesn't mean that he loves you. He's got to prove it. And the hard part is, in the world that we live in today,、uh, we don't even know what love is, right? I mean, again, some say it's sex; they call it making love. Some believe it to be a feeling that you have. So you know, feelings come and go, and we hear things like, "Well, I don't love him anymore, or love her anymore." Anymore, they fell out of love because they think it's a feeling. Others say it's a force of nature. Others call it a powerful emotion.、Uh, one website I researched said that love is involuntary. 
Brain science, they said, tells us it's a drive-like thirst. It's a craving for a specific person. Listen, a craving for a specific person isn't love. It could be lust. It could be rape. That's not love. We've got to know what love is so then we can know how to love. And we can even examine our own life to find out whether or not I'm a loving person because we're going to see that this is epic in the Christian life. Bottom line is there's a lot of confusion about what love is, so it's hard to measure it. You know, How can we test whether or not our love is true if we don't even know what it is? And so we're going to talk about that today. And my prayer is that all of us here would be able to examine our own life to find out whether or not this describes us, whether or not we are truly a person that bears the fruit and evidence of salvation and a healthy Christian relationship and that we are a loving people. And so, you know, I remember in the beginning, I used to ask myself uh, if I love my wife, but then I discovered that I might be a bit biased. And so then I used to ask her, you know, if I loved her. And again, that's better. We've talked about this. You know, you think about it. You asking your spouse, do you believe I love you? You know, that's better. But again, in one sense, it might be biased, you know. But at the end of the day, who do you got to ask? You have to ask God, right? You know, I remember reading in Second Corinthians and Paul the Apostle was uh, ministering to the Corinthian church and they were having a hard time with him because some people had come in and, and spoken lies. And so he wrote a letter to them. Most of them received his ministry, but then there were some who didn't. There was an, a minority who didn't you know, receive it. And so he writes 2 Corinthians to tell them in, in many ways that he loves them. But in 2 Corinthians eleven eleven, Paul in dealing with the Corinthian church, he says, why? Because I do not love you, God knows because they were thinking he didn't love them but he knew he did and god knew that he did and that's where we want to be bottom line is you can say you love her um doesn't mean you do you want to make sure that you do and you want to make sure that god gives you that supernatural amazon river you know power to love because we're going to see that it's so necessary in our relationship. And so we're going to talk today about the importance of love. We're going to talk about the, the origin of love. And then the third thing will be the manifestation of love. And so we begin with the importance of love. I just want you guys to know that this is important, you know. And it's not just my words. We read it here in Matthew 22. Notice what we read in verse 35. It says, one of them, Then one of them... A lawyer, he asked him, speaking of Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so these guys were coming to Jesus. They weren't really sincere. They were actually trying to trip him up in in one sense. But it's kind of cool that they did because then we get to discover such important truths. And so out of all the, whatever, 612 commandments in the Bible, 
in the Old Testament, which one's the most important one? And the Lord said, well, the most important one is to love God. And I'm not talking about lip service, man. I'm not talking about, you know, you got one foot in and one foot out. That's not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, that's not love. I'm not talking about a person who's a two-timer. That's not love. I'm talking about you loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But it's interesting because the, 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 guy, the Lord didn't stop there. Even though the guy only asked him for the first commandment, the Lord didn't stop there. The Lord gave him the second commandment because they're, they're hooked together. He said, and, and let me just tell you this, the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's kind of interesting, you know, that the Lord would do that. I think in many ways the reason he did that, the reason he gave the second commandment is because if you really love God, you prove it by loving your neighbor. I think that's the way it works. As a matter of fact, John in his epistle, he talks about that. How can you say that you love God whom you've never seen? if you don't love your brother that you have seen. So it's hooked together. And, and secondly, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, the, it's, the, it's the priority of life. I, I think, you know, to me, uh, one of the things to take into consideration is like, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And you're, maybe you're thinking about the person that lives next door to you. And yeah, they're your neighbor. Um, when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan you know, it was the one that God brings into their path. And so we're to love, you know, those that come into our life, right? But, but your closest neighbor is your spouse. And, and what I think God is really challenging us and, and, and commanding us is to love our, our spouse, to love God. And then secondly, right, right next thing is to love your, your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and really what the Bible is saying there is that you love yourself. Because a lot of times people say, well, it's, it's because of self-esteem. And, and there are things like that. I understand how that works. But, but at the end of the day, you do love yourself. You know, when you're cold, what do you do? You put on a jacket. When you're, when you're hot, you put the air conditioning on. You know, when you're hungry, what do you do? You feed yourself. You know, there's a lot of things that we do for ourselves. And so the Lord is saying, love your your neighbor, the way you love yourself. This is so important that he says right there, notice in verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so you can take your whole Bible, your entire Bible, and you can hang it under these two commandments, love God and, and love your neighbor. And so what we're trying to establish here is I just want you guys to know I need to know how important it is, you know, that we really, really love. And, and so, you know, the importance of it, and we see it here, it's the greatest commandment of all. On this hang all the law and the prophets. And what that means is a summary of everything. It's the priority of everything. Uh, and then if you go over to James chapter 2, Notice what we read here in verse 8. It's interesting. He says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. You know, and it's interesting how he takes that commandment we just read and he calls it the royal law. 
the royal law. And you wonder, well, why is it called the royal law? You know, is it because it was given to us by the king? And more than likely, that's not the real reason. The real reason is because this law or this commandment is elevated above other laws as a king would be esteemed in one sense above other men. I mean, and, and so you think of men and you citizens and it's cool, you know, God loves everybody the same, but what a distinction between them and the king. And what God is saying is when you're looking at all the commandments and all the laws, this one, this is the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. And so next time someone says, how are you doing? And you tell them you're doing well, because that's what it talks about right there. You know, hopefully it's because we're loving people the way that we should. You know, we see that on this hang all the law and the prophets, the first and greatest of all the commandments, that this is called the royal law. But then we have, if you would, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is the chapter on love. And notice what we read here. Again, just emphasizing the importance of this commandment. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbals. You know, and here's a guy, and this is Corinth. This is, they, were, they, they appreciated like the rhetoric. They appreciated people who spoke you know, in, in ways that were smooth and, and intelligent, you know, and they appreciated that. And he says, you know, in the Corinthian church, they were speaking in tongues. I mean, it was a supernatural, miraculous thing. I mean, I, I wish I knew Spanish better, you know. I, I, I would love to know Hebrew. But imagine just like this, getting the gift of tongues and knowing a, a language in a supernatural way. And I'll tell you this, when you're speaking in tongues, you know, you're feeling the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's a miracle, you know, that, that the whole thing. And that's kind of what he's saying right here. You know, you're speaking with the gift of tongues and of angels and, and you're doing this. But he says, but if you have not love, then you're just, you know, like someone going over there and smashing the cymbals with no sense or blowing a trumpet without a song. I mean, it's just, it's just a bunch of noise in God's eyes. You know, and so, um, you know, someone says, hey, Manny, do you, you, you know, you love to teach, huh? Ah, kind of, um, but the better question is, do you love the people you teach? Because if not, it's, it's annoying to God. This is how important it is. Look at the next verse. This one's even crazier. And though I have the gift in verse 2 of a prophecy, and I could tell the future, man. I foretell and foretell you know, God's word and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Think about that. And... And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I mean, this is how important love is. I mean, you know, a lot of times you got people involved in ministry and they have gifts and they're doing all these things and it's very amazing, you know, but, but understand that God sees it a lot different. He sees not just what you do, but why you do what you do. And there's guys involved in ministry and there are pastors and there are guys who are leaders and they do this and that and the other and, and everybody looks at them and they think, wow, they're just like prophets and they're like vessels of God and he does so many great things. And it, you know, it's just amazing when you look at them, 
But then when you realize that if it's not motivated by love, then he says right there, then I am nothing. This is how important this is. And and then in, in verse 3, and though I, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, think about that, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, and, and in one sense, you know, one of the things that we try to do as a church is prepare you to die. You know, maybe we'll get raptured. I don't know if that's going to happen in our lifetime, but you, if not, you're going to die. And you're going to stand before God. And, and the question is, will you know Jesus? Will you be saved? Will you go to heaven or hell? Our prayer is that you would receive Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you would you know, go to heaven. But not only that, you're going to stand before him at the Bema Seat judgment. And all your works and all your life and everything you've ever done in your entire life will be tested by the fire. And everything that is not done with the right motive will burn away. And that's what he's talking about right there. Here's a guy who sold everything he had, you know, and he gives all the money to the poor. Here's a guy who lays down his life. He dies as a martyr, but he wasn't really motivated by love. On that day when he stands before Jesus Christ, he will receive no reward because he did not love. And there are some guys, you know, they, they're nice to everybody except their wife. And I mean, I'm telling you guys, this is huge. You know, we have to love our wife. We have to love our neighbor. We have to make sure that we check our heart to make sure we're motivated by love. This is so important. I, I want to encourage you guys to understand that without love, our teaching words or fancy words or aimless noise that without love our our so-called spirituality does not exist you're nothing and without love our deeds no matter how you know dandy they might be they're stubble and one day they're all going to burn up and so we have to understand first of all the importance of it and so this is what i want you guys to do i want you to Understand that God's calling you to love with his love. It was kind of cool. After the first service, one of the guys came up to me, and uh, it was kind of cool. He just said, you know, Pastor, I need help. I mean, I, I hear what God's calling me to do, and I just don't know how to do it. I don't have it in me. I don't know how to love my, my, my wife. And, and he's all, can you help me? He asked me that. Can I help him? And I'm thinking, Lord, can I help him? <laughs> I don't know if I can necessarily help you, but I can maybe point you to the one who can help you. And that's why, you know, when it comes to love, let me tell you guys, it's not something that we can manufacture on our own grit determination. Uh, we're going to see two things. Uh, so let's begin, first of all, in looking at the origin of love, understanding that it's the fruit of the Spirit we have to begin in First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. And notice in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. And he knows God. 
He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Like, how can I do this? How can I possibly love? And the answer, number one, is you've got to be saved. You have to make sure that you're a true blue, bonafide, blood-bought, bathed believer in the blood of Jesus Christ. That he redeemed you and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. That's why if you're here and some of you guys are, are single and you're interested in that girl because she's pretty, you know, and she's got a certain figure that you like, or, you know, some of you gals, you know, you look at the guy and you're interested in him because he's got a six-figure salary. You know, I'm just joking. I mean, you know, because he's buff and, or whatever, you know. Um, man, let me just tell you, when you start all over again, first question, is he a Christian? If he's not a Christian, he will never be able to love you. Do you understand that? Same thing with you. Always oh, a nice guy. It doesn't matter. We're talking about something that can only be produced supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when you fall short, and we all do, and, and the guy is, is there to love you, to rescue you, to die for you, that doesn't happen naturally. For a man, you know, and I got to tell you this, ladies, men by nature, we're selfish. We are by nature. That's our tendency. Now, I'm not saying all guys are the same. Um, some guys are they're worse than others, though. But, you know, um, by nature, that's us. And so the only hope we ever have of loving you and putting you first before us is it's got to be a miracle of God. And that's why, first thing you got to know is that, that he has to be saved, that she has to be saved. Otherwise, there will never be true love. And even worse than that, I mean, I don't know if it's worse, but another added element to that is that there'll never be true fellowship. And so, you know, for there ever to, to be love, there has to be salvation he says if you're loving like beloved he says let us love one another for love is of god it comes from god right and everyone who loves is born of god they're they're christians they know god but if you're here and you don't love something to think about then you don't know god you know i mean you might do all this stuff and i'm telling you this and i'm just warning you man you know, maybe you're here because somebody's dragging you to church and you have to be here. Hear this message, man. God loves you. We love him because he first loved us. And if you're not a loving person, if you don't love others, then, you know, it shows that you don't know the Lord and you need to be born again. That's the fruit. That's the evidence. That's the sign of all signs, whether or not you're truly a Christian. And so, first thing is you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. But then, once you're born of the Spirit, it doesn't mean you love every day, huh? How many of you guys struggle with this? Come on, be honest. Raise your hand. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Come on. <laughs> we, we struggle with this, man. And, you know, to put somebody before ourselves, you know, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him, and it's something that it can be done. Every day, I want you guys to know this. Every single day you wake up, you make a choice. Uh, how, what, what gear are you going to put it in, you know? 
I mean, it, you can almost picture, if you would, I know this sounds silly, but, you know, you wake up in the morning and let's just say you have two cars. Which one are you going to get into? The spiritual car, which is a Camaro, or the physical car? No, I'm just joking. It's not. <laughs> no, you know, it's like that. I'm serious. Every day you wake up and you make a choice. Will I walk in the spirit or will I walk in the flesh? Before you were a Christian, you didn't have a choice because your spirit was dead. You guys know that we're trichotomy, right? Body, soul, and spirit. So before you were a Christian, your body ruled. Your body told you what you, you know you're supposed to do. You wanna you wanna throw an f bomb? Go for it, because that's what your body tells you to do. You wanna drink? You just drink. You wanna you know go sleep with someone? You go sleep with someone. Why? Because your body was telling you what to do. It was ruling over you. And then you got the soul, and then you got your spirits dead. But once you become a Christian, it gets inverted. And now the spirit man is alive. And now at least there's an option. And so now what happens is that man has to rule. That you know, inner person by the spirit of God rules over the emotions and over the body. You see, and, but every day we have to make that choice of, uh, to walk in the spirit. And that's what we read here in Galatians chapter 5. Notice uh, beginning in verse 16. It says, I say then, Paul says, I, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, the, the lust of the flesh, it wants to, you know, it's selfish. But if you walk in the spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so what ends up happening is you start bearing fruit, which we read in verse 22, that the fruit of the spirit is love. And then he goes on to describe joy and peace. But all the others, uh, a lot of people believe, a lot of theologians believe, they're just under that first and foremost fruit, which is love. And so if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, then you're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so what's going to happen is it'll, it'll just kind of like naturally happen in, in one sense. You know, it's not going to be you grit determination it's going to be like when your wife or, or when your husband, do they ever like push your buttons? That ever happened? Do they ever bump you the wrong way? You're like, ah. Oh. And so what do you guys do? You're like, wow, you know, you, you're ready to fight back, right? And so when they bump you, what flows out is love. What flows out is a, is a good reaction, you know, I was talking to one of the sisters after uh, service in the first uh, service, and she was talking about how, you know, kind of struggling a little bit with this issue of um, of getting, uh, you know, upset. I don't know if you guys ever get upset, but um, she was saying that she heard it said one day that if uh, if if you had eighty six thousand four hundred dollars, I think it was something like that. And someone stole, we'll just say, $20. Would you throw the other $86,380 away? How many of you would do that? Because if you did, would you throw it my way? I mean. <laughs> and so she was talking about this, and it made a lot of sense. She said, that's how many seconds you have in each day. And what it can happen in 20 seconds, someone can get you mad, and you throw the whole day away. Have you guys ever done that? Come on, tell the truth. <laughs> you know, and it's like it's not, it's not worth it. 
You know, what we have to do is we have to walk in the spirit. We won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have to wake up in the morning, probably spend time in the Bible, get on our knees, pray, ask God to fill you with his spirit so you can walk in the spirit. And then what ends up happening in verse 25, it says, if we live in the spirit, that's us as Christians, then let us also walk in the spirit. There, you know, it's not automatic now. You still have to choose to walk in the spirit you know there are certain shoes that we use for certain things well that's how we have to live our life you know that's the only way it's going to happen it's the only way you know understanding as christians the importance of of it you know it's the first commandment i mean it's on it hang all the law and the prophets it's the royal law like a king above the citizens i mean without it i'm nothing without it i won't receive a reward one day when I stand before Jesus Christ and I've done all these crazy things, but I never really had love. And so, Lord, how do I do this? And the Lord is saying, this is the origin of it. This is how you do it. You've got to get saved. You've got to give your life to Christ. And as the Spirit now lives in you, you have to choose to take every single step of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to walk in that. And before you know it, it begins to flow. And before you know it, at first it may be a little difficult for us because we have to change our whole way of thinking, putting another person before ourselves. But before you know it, it becomes a little bit more natural. It begins to flow. Some of you guys here, and I will say this, you love your spouse a little bit. A little bit. It would be like a, a little fruit, huh? How many of you guys would say that? I'm just joking. I want to make you raise your hand on that. You know, but it's almost sometimes like, you guys ever had like a small fruit? It's, it's small. It's usually bitter. But it's a little fruit. But then sometimes it gets bigger. And then the Bible talks about 30, 60. What I want to do, man, and I know it's a journey. Don't be discouraged if you're not there yet. Don't. And this is not intended to tell you that you can't do this and you're all messed up and you know try to sock you in the face or something. It's not like that. It's intended to say, okay, we're on this journey and it's a journey of love and it is worth all of your effort, everything you have to make sure that you love this person because this is the most important commandment of all. And, and, and the crazy thing about it is that you can't manufacture it. It has to be the work of God. And so what do you have to do? You have to dive in to your relationship with God. It can't be half-hearted. It can't be you playing church. It can't be you for the rest of your life with good intentions. Yeah, I want to get right with God. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray the way that I should. And they die saying that. They never come to that place of absolute surrender because that's the only place where this can be produced. And the crazy thing is, this is the one thing that we need the most. And so what does it look like when you love someone? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, we'll go back there. Because I know some of you guys here are like, well, I love her. I love her. I just bought her a new car. Well, maybe. Oh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, um, it's more than that. It's more than the house. It's more than the clothes. It's more than the stuff. It's more than the fact that you're, you're still married. Well, we're still married. I mean, come on. 
It's more than the fact that you tell her you love her. I mean, it's a manifestation. There's a life that you live, and this is what it looks like. In 1 Corinthians 13, this is what he says about love. He says in verse 4 that love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Here we have 15 specific things that we can look at in our life that kind of indicate whether or not we're really loving our spouse, whether or not we're really loving people. And the first thing we see there in verse 4 is that love suffers long. You know, and, and that's telling you that a lot of times what ends up happening is you're going to love someone who may not be that lovely. Huh? Remember I, I shared last week that sometimes when they're at their worst, it's when they need your love the most. But what ends up happening a lot of times is when they're at their worst, then we're like, forget you. You know, and we, and we go the other way. You know, there's a guy I was talking to recently. He left his wife. He left his family. You know, I'm not happy, you know, and she does this, that, and the other, and she treats me mean. And, and, I, and I just told him, I said, man, this is your, this is now your opportunity to prove whether or not your love is real. Because if you just love her when, when she's nice to you, I mean, even Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, what different are you than the pagans? So there's suffering involved. There is. It's going to hurt. Do you think that when Jesus was nailed to a cross, it felt good? Do you think when they pounded the crown of thorns on him, it felt good? When they, you know, did all this stuff, they scourged him with a cat of nine tails and, and they mocked him. Sometimes that the words are the ones that hurt the most. You know, and what do we do? We, we, we split, we quit. No, there's suffering involved in love, you guys. It, love, it, it suffers and it doesn't just suffer. It, it suffers long. This is, this is true love. You're going to have to work through all those things. It says that love is kind. And so this is to show oneself useful. It's acts of benevolence. You know, when you know, you're kind to someone, what kind of Christian are you? Hopefully you're a kind Christian. I think you guys know what that means. It says in verse 4 that love does not envy. And, and one translation that says it's not jealous, okay? Listen, there's a healthy jealousy, but there is also an unhealthy jealousy. And when you have an unhealthy jealousy expressed, then understand, that's not love. You know, that's actually selfishness. You know, love does not parade itself. We read in verse 4, in other words, it's not boastful. Love is not puffed up. It's not proud, in verse 5, he says, love does not behave rudely. And this is an, uh, an indication of a offensive or you're not impolite, you're not ill-mannered, right? Um, sometimes we see, unfortunately, this taking place where guys will be 
rude to their wives or vice versa. Verse 5, love does not seek its own. And that's probably one of the most important aspects of love is that it's not selfish. I think that selfishness is the antithesis to love. It does not demand its own way, really. It's not provoked in verse 5. Notice it says that, and what that means, it's not easily provoked. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is, man, it's just the littlest thing, the smallest thing, boom, World War III in your house. You know, there's an explosion. You know what that tells me? You don't love. You don't love them. I mean, there has to be like a long fuse. There has to be conversations. There has to be ability to reason things out and work things out in a calm way. But sometimes, man, people, man, at the, at the turn of a dime, they get so upset. And all I'm saying is that we're looking at all these things and we're able to examine ourselves. Do, am I guilty of any of these? Am I doing these things? How am, I, am I really loving that person? It says in verse 5 that love does not... Uh, think it, it thinks no evil, and what that means right there is it keeps no record of wrongs. You know, and sometimes in marriage relationships, what ends up happening is when you guys start getting into a little holy headlock, a little intense fellowship. What does she do? She whips out the you know the record of wrongs, or what does he do? He rips out the record record of wrongs. You know, you start getting not just hysterical but historical, right? Yeah, well, last week you said this, or last month, remember what happened, or 10 years ago. What, 10 years ago? You don't love them. You don't love them when you do that. You got to stop it because you want to know something. God doesn't do that to you. Imagine if every time you blew it, he threw it in your face. What kind of Christianity is that? I mean, you've got to work things out. You've got to talk about things. You've got to deal with issues. But whatever you do, don't put it in your back pocket for future ammunition. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, And be tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. When God forgave you, he took your sins and he cast it as far as the east is from the west. He put it behind his back and he remembers it no more. Learn to love each other. We've all read this chapter a hundred times. Remember I told you guys about Amy Carmichael, how one time someone did her wrong, real wrong, and this is an amazing missionary to India. 50 years as a missionary, she never took a furlough, just an amazing woman. And so one day someone came to Amy and they said, I can't believe she did that to you. I, she's so bad, she did that to you. And Amy Carmichael, you know what she said? She said, that's funny. I distinctly remember forgetting that. <laughs> and that's what we need to do. Yeah, but you're like, but yeah, but then he's going to, you know, take advantage of me. And you know what? I tell you what, let God get him. <laughs> God will do a better job. <laughs> so this is love. It, it doesn't keep record of wrongs. It thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, rejoices in the truth. You know, it's never glad about injustices, but this is true love when truth wins out. It, it, I mean, when it's real love, you guys got to understand it, the power of it, man. I mean, like I said earlier, and I just can't stop but help thinking about the Amazon River. I mean, the, Huey Lewis, remember he sang about it, the power of love? 
You guys remember that? Just the it, love, it, it bears all things. It believes all things. In other words, it doesn't lose faith. It, it hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. And it's not dependent on that person. It's dependent on your relationship with God. He loves us because of who he is, not who we are. He's a lover and we need to be lovers too. And when you got married, I'll tell you what, when you got married and you stood before Almighty God, that's what you vowed to him. You vowed to him, I will love her, Lord. I will love him. That's, that's the fire. That's the fuel of marriage. You know, one day when I give my kids away, that's the one thing. I already know what I'm going to tell them. Because, you know, right there when they give the hand in marriage, I'm going to tell them, you better. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> All I ask is that you love her. Because I know that if you love her with God's love, then it will never fail. But we're going to get hit hard. We're going to go through crazy things in life. But it, it won't be like, well, now I don't love her anymore. It will never be that way because you know what true love is. Love never fails. Now, this morning, I, I, um, I was reminded, I saw this one little thing we have and I don't want to ruin it for you guys, but I'm sorry, man. I, I saw it, and I, and I just thought about it because I was getting ready for the study. I love Lucy. I love Lucy. And I thought about that. I'm like, no, you didn't. I mean, you said it a million times and it was all over the signs and we got the title of your episodes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, everybody quotes it and they say it and they read it and it's famous. It's all around the world in multiple languages. You said you love Lucy and you didn't. Because he was having affairs and it ended in divorce. And I'm telling you guys this, man, that, that you can say it a million times and you can do whatever you want with the rest of your life in ministry and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I'm telling you girls the same thing, but maybe not as harshly, but I have to tell you too, you know, this is the commitment, you know, to love your spouse. My prayer is that that you would, the last night we went out over a study in our marriage fellowship and it was just about, you know, and maintaining that, that, that marriage relationship to where divorce, understanding how God hates it, you know, apart from adultery or abandonment, it's not an option, it never will be. And even in that, sometimes God works things out. So, you know, let me close today with... Um, with a song by Stephen Chris Chapman. I want to give you guys a little video. 
And what it is is a, a, a video, and it's a song that he wrote after his parents got a divorce. You know, he grew up and oh, everything was, was going good and it was supposed to, you know, be for the rest of their life. And the next thing you know, he, you know, he finds out that his mom and dad are getting a divorce. And so then his wife, Mary Beth, she looks to him and she said, what about us? You know, right instantly she felt that insecurity, you know. What's going to happen to us? And it was in that context where he wrote this song, you know, I will be here. And I, and I pray that that would be our, 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 our heart as couples, you know, that, that we would be committed, you know, to love our spouse through hell and high water, no matter what happens, and that we would, in the end, you know, die standing. And so I want to play this song and then we'll have communion together. And as we um, pass out the cup and the bread, you know, examine your life, whatever it is that might be going on. We don't want to drink or partake of communion in an unworthy manner because we bring judgment on ourselves. So, you know, clean your heart, give it to the Lord, surrender it to the Lord. But, but it's, my prayer is that the priority to love your spouse, it just zooms up there to the top. Even knowing this, this is how you prove you love God and that, that this would be life-changing for us.